Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs on January 22nd. The year is 2024. whole lot going down on this day in Cleveland history. The addition of most spades in Lane Ellington, who did not last long in Cleveland, but were enjoyable to watch. A win over the Thunder with double-doubles from Garland Mobley and Jared Allen a few years ago. The thankful trade of Kevin Porter Jr., who will not really be discussing Cavs or more so for the things he's done since and Leon Poe is celebrating a birthday. The former Cavalier turns 40. We've got Sir Yah, who needs no introduction. We'll give him one anyway right after this on Network 216, talking all things Cleveland, its content creation, and a whole lot more to do with the land. Let's go. <laughs> Welcome back, folks. Sir Yacht, a.k.a. Joey Kinsley, a pleasure to have you on. So we can talk all things Cleveland, what you've been up to, obviously getting a lot of great attention for some recent projects and everything that's been going on. Hey, man, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. That was a good intro. I, uh, I wasn't expecting that, to be honest with you. I thought we were just going to hop in. So that was uh, got me all hyped, man. Thanks for, having me. thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And you, and you know me, anything I'll ever do that has to do with the Cavs or something I care at least a little bit about, I will probably be three times louder than the next person just because <laughs> yeah, you got to hype it up. You got to get into it. And, yeah. you know, you got to bring the energy. Monday morning, you know, we're wide awake, we're ready to go, starting the week. This is what we're up to. Hello, man. If you, uh, I, if you are free any day of the week and you just want to be an alarm clock for me, because uh, I'm like, I'm so much better at night. I'm like such an evening night person and I, um, I'm trying to go on walks and do things like that so I can be more energetic. So like when you said like to do this podcast, like in the morning, 9 a.m. is maybe early for me, not early for other people. I was like, yes, I need to do stuff like this. So thank you. Absolutely. Especially on a Monday, you're up early, you're starting, and the world is your oyster from here. I mean, you're, you're hopping on the pod, you're talking Cleveland. I mean, what, what else could be better on a Monday? What can happen in the afternoon to top the morning? But then you get to the evening, and then everything is available. Everything is open. Everyone's around. Day is over. That's phase three. I love it, man. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. I need, I need to do that. Um, I like that. I like that. Absolutely. So – whole lot of places we can start here, but I'm personally curious. There's certain things I did research, certain things I didn't. This one I do not know, so I will be as surprised as everybody. You may not know, but the Sir Yacht name, where is the origin? Yeah, so uh, I went to Ohio Wesleyan, um, and I've always wanted to make it in like music and be a recording artist. So I had a different name that I, I went by that I didn't really like. I uh, wasn't really available online, so I was like, all right, I'm going to come up with a different name. Um, wanted something that was two syllables, something that resembled water and let people know that I was an artist and not like a band. Um, so I was doing some whatever brainstorming, Sir Yacht kind of came up. And then that was kind of just my like at, like my username online. And then, um, you know, I wasn't really making content, didn't make content at all. But especially back then, it wasn't really a thing like to just do content on social media unless it was like YouTube. So when the Browns went 0-16, my friend tells me to make a rant. I'm like, okay, I'll do it, even though I don't really want to. Make a rant, just freaking out about the Browns, basically. And then I wake up on New Year's Day 2018 uh, on SportsCenter Snapchat and a couple other places. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll start making content. And my name was just Surrey out at the time, so it kind of stuck. And, uh, yeah, here we are. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, and then it continued 
And uh, look, everyone has had different thoughts on what happened here. I, I'm personally curious, but you did get the opportunity during the Guardian season. Really cool, because I feel like in, in, the, in the area of content creation, you really haven't seen too many folks that really get to come out, throw the first pitch in their city, uh, let alone. <laughs> so you got up there, you did slip, but that – People have called it a stunt, but I, I would say personally, at least from, from my point of view, that that can't be possible. Like, so you get that opportunity. You don't want to be the next 50 cent. You don't want to be known amongst the guys that throw at 32. Right? That, that was just a slip, correct? That was, that was not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it totally a slip. Definitely didn't rehearse it 50 times at a, a high school baseball field the, uh, the day before. Um, no, I uh, – I got the opportunity to throw a first pitch, and it was something I didn't take lightly, something I always wanted to do. I was like, oh, this is really cool. But then I was like, I could fade off into the sunset, throw like a mediocre first pitch, like whatever I pitched in high school wasn't that good. Uh, I could throw a a mediocre first pitch, nobody cares, and then I move on. I was like, or I could do something real stupid, see if – just see if – because like the internet just is very – it's predictable in many ways. A lot of people, when they see something like that, I knew the clip would potentially leak out. Um, so, I mean, I understand people – like, people are more than welcome to be frustrated, mad, whatever, because a lot of people treat that as very sacred. And I guess I didn't realize how sacred the first pitch was until I uh, uh, purposely fell. Um, but I was so nervous about it. I had fallen, like, like I said, 50 times at, a, at my high school baseball field. Um, I had a huge like scar like up and down my leg uh, for a little bit, and uh, yeah, I, I fell, and it took the internet by storm a little bit, and I probably won't ever do it again. All right, you got in, you got your opportunity, and you were one of about the six starting pitchers for the Guardians at one point in the rotation. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly. It was, um, but no, I mean, uh, people are. Some people thought it was funny. Some, a lot of people thought it was, uh, you know, not great. Um, and and I understand, like like I said, I understand that people are upset about it because it was something that was kind of was kind of crazy. So um, you know, I, I, people a lot of have reactions on the internet. I'm, I wasn't I wasn't too offended by it. But then since then, even you've had a lot more cool things going on. So my question for you, and we'll talk about them as we as we go forward this morning, but. How has, I guess, maybe even from the rant to now, back then when you're, you're doing it, you're voicing your opinions, you don't know what's going to happen, you're just getting it out there versus now. How has knowing that there's a good opportunity for these posts to go viral, to break out, and break out in the sense of hitting national outlets, of getting tens of millions of views, how has that changed your approach to, or not changed your approach to how you're going forward with what you make and post, publish, work on, partner with? Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I think... Um... I think it's not supposed to change because what makes a video do well is me not really focusing on the viewership, focusing on the product of it, like like the byproduct, like everything after, and more so just focusing on why I started doing it was because it's a good outlet and I really enjoy doing it. Like it's a lot of fun, and I figured that I figured out that when I like try to do stuff and I'm like, oh, like this will do really really well. The project usually, other than I guess the first pitch thing that I just said, ends up not doing very well. If I'm doing something because I absolutely love it, I enjoy it, I want to make a great piece of content. For example, uh, the other day, 
Uh, I did the one chip challenge and then I sang karaoke. Um, and I was like, I just, I don't care how this does. Like, I think it'll, I think it'll do well, maybe, but like, I just, I think it'll just be really fun to make. And, uh, and I ended up doing pretty good on Instagram. Uh, but it's like, those are the things I kind of focus on. But, um, I think also going back to your point, because I've seen that I've had some success online and I know that if I throw enough darts, I have a dartboard right here. One, because I love darts, but two, it's kind of like a metaphor for me. And like, if I throw enough darts, I know some are going to miss, some are going to hit. Um, but I, I love consistency in content and I love just like kind of experimenting and seeing what works and what doesn't. So that's, that's kind of my formula for this. And um, it's allowed me to be more comfortable uh, with it because it is a job. Like, you know, I have an agent that brings in sponsorships and that's kind of how I make most of my money. Um, so I need to make videos to get viewerships to have brand deals eventually come in. But I, I know that like I've, I've done this before when there are lows, I know that the highs are going to come back if I'm just consistent. So that does, that does help a little bit. And I think in the big picture, uh, right, Joey, you can't enjoy these highs and it's unfortunate because this is the case. And it's like that. I think with anything in life, no matter what you're doing, relationships, friendships, work, anything, you can't enjoy the highs unless you actually feel really crappy and, and go through these lows, right? Because when you get up, you're not just springing <clears throat> through the ceiling. You're kind of going towards the sky with that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a great point too. Um, and, and, and that's kind of like a thought, like a, like a process I've been thinking of a lot recently is, um, you know, instead of, you know, I'm a, I'm a man of faith for sure. So like when I, when I go through like these lows, I've seen enough of them as everybody has to like, okay, the lows were bad, but looking at them now, they're really good because they brought like something really good out of it. And I always believe, you know, I, I try to be thankful for my negatives that, that kind of happen in life. Um, because I truly believe there are positives and things like that. But um, from a less like, you know, prophetic standpoint, um, it is like, you know, I know the lows are going to be there. But then, yeah, once you get something that does really well, you're like, oh, I really, really appreciate it. Instead of like it always kind of just being up here because it's just like you kind of uh, you don't really maybe you just, you just don't know. You're kind of ignorant to that. And, uh, you know, working for I love I love a good challenge. I love a good chase. Um you know, I've, I've really tried to enjoy the journey, not the destination. You know, I, I guess I'm just brainwashed by Gary V, but uh, I sound like a Gary V promo right now. But um, it, a lot of it, a lot of it, I feel like is, is, is helped me a lot and a lot of other things. So, yeah. And that's actually the perfect segue, talking about low to high and start talking on the, the sports segment of things. Because the Cleveland Browns, since they came back in 1999, have had many different quarterbacks, all these different coaches. They've had a win. And you mentioned there was the winless parade, uh, which included the, uh, the infamous Corey Coleman drop where he was pretty open. There was the game they blew against the Chargers during that season. There's a whole lot of moments the Browns have had. But right now, finally, not only are the Browns up, but they are up high. Because when you consider the lows that even Browns fans felt this season, you know, I didn't. And I can name every single player that was out, but let's just say what 80% of the offensive line ended up missing significant portion of the season. They didn't have all pro running back Nick Chubb. And if he wasn't all pro last year, well, he probably would have been this year. So he does deserve the designation. And for better or worse, whatever people feel about him, Deshaun Watson was their quarterback who had just beaten the best team in the league. Now one win from the Super Bowl. They make the playoffs with a 39 year old couch ridden quarterback who had kind of been written off after playing uh, poorly. And I think he, he got playing time with the Jets and Broncos and was a backup with Philly. I don't think he ever got on the field, but Joe Flacco comes in, 
takes them to the playoffs. They get smoked by the Texans, who then in turn get smoked by a fellow division rival in Baltimore. How do you give an honest assessment of this season? Because I feel like even though the Browns only lost six regular season games, just scrolling on the Cleveland feed for across the Cavs and everything, it's like you'd think they were worse just based on what people were saying. But it seemed like a season you can be really proud of in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're reacting right after the game, you know, it feels like the worst thing ever. It's heartbreaking because you had this like, oh, like we're the team of destiny. They keep getting decimated with injuries and other things and and here we are and we're you know, we we have a real chance of going to the Super Bowl, which they did, and then they get blown out by the the Houston Texans with a rookie coach, rookie quarterback. Very easy to be like, oh, this season was a failure, it was a wash. Yeah, you look at that roster week one, you look at Nick Chubb, you look at Deshaun Watson going down, you look at all the injuries, even Jack Conklin from very early on. And uh, the fact, I mean, it, it was a very common phrase, like they played with house money this year. And the fact that they were what they were at 11 and seven, ending up to finish the season. I mean, they were 11 and five, the Bengals game, I don't really count. Um, and then to have Joe Flacco, the common phrase comes off the couch, like truly just a team. It felt like a team of destiny. So it's very easy to get, you know, caught up in that and to feel heartbreak but you know it's been uh what 10 uh days 10 days since that um since that game I'm, I'm trying to do the math because i'm so ocd with math about 10 days yeah i mean it's it's what a season like it was I, that that game heartbreaking I, that's not really what i'm gonna remember what i'm gonna remember is just like the team that just had gave a city a lot of hope didn't give up could have easily just you know Stop and like we're injured, like whatever. But they they are building something right there. There is a culture in that locker room. Credit to Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski and what they're building over there. But it was it was a lot of fun. I'm gonna miss them for sure. Um, one thing I'm trying not to get caught up in is like all like the hype videos. Like people are in like just like the stuff in the off season. Like I like I like going away. I, I'll I'll pay attention to Brown stuff, but I'm not gonna. I'm not going to, you know, get sucked into. We, we're interviewing running backs and offensive line coaches, and people are freaking out. I'm like, it's January. It's January, and we're talking about. It's like the Allen Iverson thing. We're talking about running back coaches. We're talking about offensive line coaches. Like, what are we doing here? So, uh, but it was a great season. It was a great season. Um, it sucks that they're they're not there because I feel like they would have played the Ravens a little bit better than the Texans. Yep. But maybe just the juice kind of ran out for Joe Flacco and the Browns. And then that's another, another perfect segue. I don't know how we keep landing on these, man. But uh, <laughs> so you've, you've been undergoing a project, I, I want to say, for the last about year and a half, correct? That's when you started the project I'm going to mention uh, about the quarterback, like a year and a half? Or how, how long? Yeah, about, yeah, about uh, October of uh, October 22 is when we, we first started, yeah. Okay, so since October of 22, you've been undergoing – you've been uh, taking on the responsibility of trying to interview every Brown starting quarterback ever. You've crossed off nine. You've crossed off a very rare Wildcat player, Josh Cribbs, which I think counts. The, the way he runs the ball, the way he returns it, the pre-Denard Robinson, successful version of Denard Robinson, Denard Robinson. So the two-parter for you here is how have you enjoyed uh, being able to get these interviews, get these opportunities and do it? And then the second part in the segue avenue, does, how do we get Joe Flacco into the mix now. I know I saw part of my take and Joe Flacco was on. I was like, damn, I'll have to get him one day. Um, so first, just kind of how this all started. Uh, my agent came with me to came came with me to the with the idea. Um, he's a Bengals fan, but you know he knows obviously. Like he's like, hey, this is something that obviously 
you know, Browns fans think about, but it really is a national story. They always have the graphic on CBS and it just gets bigger and bigger. And I'm, you know, it's unbelievable, but um, he's like, what if you try to interview every Brown starting quarterback since 1999? And this was, uh, this is December of 2021. And I was like, that's a good idea. That's a really, really good idea. So I reached out to, um, and I was like, maybe I'll just do it in like in chronological order. Like we'll just start with Tim couch, even though like he was technically the second quarterback that started, but he's like the, the face of the new Browns that came back. Um, so I was like, all right, we'll just message Tim couch and see if he wants to do it. And then we'll go from there. So I messaged him on Twitter hear nothing. So I find him on Instagram, message him, nothing. Then a couple more times each, nothing. And that was it. And I was like, eh, bummer. Oh, well. So flash forward about nine, 10 months into 22. And, uh, I, I think I throw up like a fire emoji on one of his Instagram stories, like just not thinking anything of it. Mm-hmm. He follows me back, replies to my Instagram DM and says, Hey, I would love to do the interview. Let me know when you're available. Like 10 months later, I'm like, okay, this is something I didn't even think about for the past 10 months. And now we're just going to do it. And, uh, I'm like, okay, uh, yeah, we'll go down to, cause he's in Lexington, Kentucky. So I was like, He's like, do you want to do it over Zoom or something? I'm like, no, no, like we'll go. We're gonna do it in person. Like we we want to do this in person. So I went down. And I'm 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 sweating. Like I'm you know crabbing my pants and uh, just just I'm so nervous. I'm like I've never even really I've done podcasts, but I don't do like these interviews like in person like are crazy. And Tim is is Jack. So it was just it was so intimidating. But um, you know, he's someone I looked up to a lot as a kid as well, especially, you know, when, he, when they came back, you know, I was like five, six years old. So anyway, long story short, the interview goes well, you know, I'm sweating the whole time, but it ends up being it, it going well. And, you know, I'm, I was like, holy cow, like it just like gives you like this adrenaline when you like interview people and people that you think are really cool and respect and look up to, especially as a kid. So then, um, you know, we're still trying to go in order at that point. So Ty Detmer is second. And, uh, you know, ha- he's not on social media, really. His, his Twitter isn't open, so I can't message him. So I'm like, ah, bummer. Um, so anyways, I'm at the Browns-Bucks game in 22. And uh, one of my, he's one of my really good friends now, Anthony White. He's a huge Browns collector, just the nicest guy ever. He comes up to me and introduces himself, and he's wearing a Ty Detmer jersey. Who has a Ty Detmer Browns jersey? And I'm like, dude, I got to take a picture of you and tag Ty Detmer because we're trying to interview him next. So then Ty sees it follows me back. We go down to his ranch an hour south of San Antonio, Texas and BFE and uh, interview him. And then we're kind of going in order. Next thing, this is the top. I think this is the craziest thing we've ever done. Spurgeon win. Spurgeon win has no social media. Nobody's heard from him. A lot of people are like, who's Spurgeon win? A lot of Browns fans maybe. And they're like, yeah, he started a game for the Browns. Um, he was drafted above Tom Brady. I feel bad. Cause that's like one of the things he's known him for being part of the Brady six. He doesn't have any social media. He has LinkedIn, and he's barely on LinkedIn. So we reach out to him on LinkedIn, and he has never – he told us, like, he's rarely on there. Like, he'll check it, like, maybe a few times a year. And he somehow saw the message. We fly down to Houston, Texas, and, inter- and interview him. Um, so, anyways, long story short, we got nine other ones. Doug Peterson, we got in Jacksonville. That was, that was a crazy back and forth for about five, six months. Finally uh, got the Jaguars, convinced them to – to host, have us uh, interview Doug Peterson. And it was just, it's been crazy just to, like the the scheduling part is really, really fun. It feels like I'm like an investigative reporter. I'm like, what's the best way to contact somebody? And uh, I, I, I love, like I said, I love a good chase. I'm relentless with that. Uh, but it's been really, really fun. And there's a lot of adrenaline that comes with it. The problem that we kind of run into is it's so damn expensive 
to fly like uh, a two-person camera crew and myself and bags and get an Airbnb and go down these places that kind of like not discontinue it, but put it on a halt for now until we're looking for the right sponsor to help us. So we're hoping in March, April to kind of get back at it, but it's, um, it's, it's been pretty fun. So hopefully we can kind of keep that going and, and have Joe Flacco on. We're not doing it chronologically anymore. We're just like, well, whoever we can get, because it's so difficult just to get people anyways. But um, I feel like maybe Joe Flacco has some time right now. It being the off season, being fresh, maybe we can hit him up. We'll see. No, but much respect for that. I mean, the amount of travel that goes into it, the amount of time, and not only getting there, but I can imagine that however long the journey is, whether you're driving, taking a train, flying, getting there, that your nerves are on a are on a 50, right, the entire time, because you're getting ready to interview somebody that's been in the, the uh, almost, it's the holy position for Cleveland sports, for better or worse, right, stepping into that quarterback role, you're getting these people on. So full respect to that and can understand the the high emotions and energy that that attach to this kind of project, this this kind of opportunity along the way. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, and, and there are so many nerves. Um, but it's it's like I've kind of separated my head. I, I've worked so many jobs that I've just hated and I've had no control over. And if it is successful, somebody else is kind of reaping the benefits. So you know, it's good stress. It's good anxiety and all this stuff. But you know, I get so you – know, a lot of times, you know, you're studying or whatever, and uh, I can't fall asleep because I'm just, like, nervous. I'm like, oh, my God, like, I hope I hit this interview. Especially with Doug Peterson. I was reading his book, um, trying to just get some just – get, just get anything. We had 15, 20 minutes with him because that's all the Jaguars would give us. I'm like, if I could just get, like, one or two questions um, from, like, this, like, 250-page book or whatever, like, that'll, that'll be great. But it's – um yeah, I mean – it is very nerve wracking, but like anything, like, you know, the more practice you have, the more preparation, the more confident you are. So right now um, in the interview process, like I, I feel very confident in, in what we're doing and scheduling things. And I feel a little more confident in my abilities and um, yeah, it, it, it becomes a little less nerve wracking, but obviously easier said than done. You know, it, when things happen uh, and you get someone that you're really excited for, of course you're going to be anxious and nervous and, you know, excited and wanting to do well. Like that's just, uh, that's just, kind of, I feel like it's human nature. I've been there many times. Had some really fortunate opportunities to make a lot of really cool connections across the NBA with the Cavs and with, with a bunch of other things. I know exactly the feelings you're talking about. And there's times right before trying to find the private space, just jump around, pace and only just come on. And as soon as the first words come out of your mouth, it's like, all right, don't say anything crazy. Stay your words. Stop talking. Let let them let them carry it. You just have to set them up so they can they can hit that grand slam. Right? Yeah, like- dude. So I, yeah, a hundred percent. So um, kind of kind of just on that. So I have like a I have like an outline like on a Google Doc basically that I print out and I have it on my iPad. And um, you know, I, I like will throw it together and I'll try to like go through it mentally as much as I can. And so many times before, I'm like, oh, I don't have it memorized. Like, I'm going to have to look down at it so much and, like, try to answer questions. But what you forget is that they know their life story better than you do because they lived it. So they actually are really good. Like you said, like you said a few times during the, this, this interview, um, they're very good at transitioning things because it's their life. They get it. And then a lot of times, like, you're kind of just going through it with them. And you listen to something they said, and instead of like, you're like, oh, the outline, actually what they said is a lot better to transition into something else. Like you hear something, then you want to follow up on that question. So that's one thing I try to do too, is like not really focus so much on this like outline, but more so like 
just having a conversation with them and then having this outline as like a guide to like maybe just peek, pop in some questions here and there. So listening to them and trying to come up with a story uh, based on kind of just what, what they're saying is, has been a lot better, but um, yeah, it's, it's been, I'm like, Oh, I don't even need like the iPad. Uh, it's uh, it's been good. So I, I feel it, it's, it's very fun. Like interviewing somebody is uh, you know, I, I love just having conversations with people regardless, but if anything, like if nobody watches these videos, it's like, I'm talking to Doug Peterson for 20 minutes. Like, you know, that's, I'm talking to whoever, Jeff Garcia, uh, Derek Anderson, like people that like, you know, I saw on TV and look up to as a kid. Like if there were no cameras on, I would do this. And so, or if nobody was watching, I would do this. So it's, that's, it's a good excuse to have a conversation for me with somebody else I looked up to. No, I'll always agree with that. No opportunity is a wasted opportunity because if it bombs, well, it's a learning experience. If it goes well, a lot of people are going to see it. And if it's somewhere in between, well, then you, you're personally, no one else will critique it, but you learn for yourself, right? How you want to improve it, what you want to change moving forward. So, but much respect yeah. with regard to that. Right? Yeah. And one more, one more thing, sorry to say, the thing about um, it bombing too is like, if it bombs, nobody will know because we will edit it down to where it at least is somewhat listenable. Like if I just fudge everything up, nobody will know. Cause we got editing software. So it's like that, that gives me even more confidence to be like, okay, take a deep breath. It'll all be good. It'll all turn out well. Like it's uh, everything's fine. Exactly. And now I don't have the perfect transition on this one, but we are going to switch over <laughs> to the Cavaliers as heads across the Cavs, but a couple of Cavs subjects here and then we will sign off. But all right, Joey, Cleveland Cavaliers, seven wins in a row, currently the longest streak in the league. They're 12-3 and three without Garland and Mobley. All they've been doing is winning. They've got Dean Wade truthers emerging out of the woodwork now. You've got Hatsik Koro clamping your favorite player's favorite player. And they're also doing this with a, a guy who is only known for saying the lights were too bright. Well, now it seems lights are too bright for everybody he's facing because Jared Allen is one double-double away from the longest, I believe, longest consecutive streak in franchise history. So... It's all looking up right now, man. What are your thoughts on this recent win streak and Cavs' performance, dude? It's it's almost like they're, it's almost like th them and the Browns are almost like the same story. It's it's this next up mentality. It's the underdog mentality, and everybody counted. You know, you saw the tweets. Everybody firing things off. You know, oh, the Cavs are. You know, they're done. Like the season's over. Yeah, I saw how many season over things did we see? Uh, from I mean, too many to count. And the fact that they're this good without Garland or Mobley, um, you know, they're sitting in the same spot as they were they finished last season. So credit to them. It's been fun to, you know, I will admit, like, with the Brown season and everything, it is more difficult to, like, zero in on the Cavs because just because of the season the Browns had and it takes a lot of attention. But I love this part of the year because I really get to, you know, focus on the Cavs and – you know, watch them, you know, blossom, hopefully. And I've been, I've been, I think, vocal on JV Bickerstaff, and I've been vocal on other things. And maybe, I don't, like, who knows if Mitchell and Garland can kind of coexist, if they can really work in the NBA. Credit to, credit to the Cavs. Really credit to them. They have, they, like, they could have easily given up as well. They could have folded. Let, let's go uh, sell in the trade market uh, at the trade deadline and figure things out. But they've been, um, they've been a lot of fun to watch. It's been very cool. I'm, I'm getting more in, into the season again um, as, as the Browns has ended. And it's, it's nice to have a little positivity, if you will. I love 
the NBA is fun because it is a longer season. So every game doesn't matter. It matters, but not as much as an NFL season. So I don't have like crippling anxiety before and after every game. Like obviously you want to win. You're bummed when they lose and you're really happy when they win. But it's like more – it's more even keel. And then obviously as the playoffs come along, that's when the anxiety comes and you want to – yeah, you want to throw up if they lose. Well, the one thing the Cavs can do for both of us and many fans, I would say, Joey, would be that they can allow us to get our steps without going anywhere. Because I can tell you, the room in my apartment, there, there is a, there's plenty of space, but there's enough rooms also where I'm recording right now. There's enough space to maybe to go all the way around perimeter to perimeter. might be 15 or 20 steps. Go around the bed, through the corner, in this little nook where I record. 15 or 20 steps. I could probably get a minimum of 1,000 to 2,000 steps over the course of a game. Because we get down to the fourth course, like, you're just pacing back and forth. You go inside, side, you put your hands up here. No, why, why are you that? What are you doing? And then all of a sudden, win or lose, you know, it's like you're on a roller coaster at an amusement park. It's going 100. And I'm not even a roller coaster guy, as I, as I say this. But I, I did do Space Mountain when I was five years old, so I'll count it. <laughs> uh, you're going down, down, down. Heart's coming out of your chest. And... That's essentially the roller coaster, right? You become invested in something. This is my 21st season being a cast fan. It's the fifth year recording about it. So now my thoughts are even a little different. Now that I actually voice them once it happens, right? But with these, this game is happening, you're just like, no, no, yes, no. And you can't just turn it off, right? You know, there are some nights, I will say, where they're playing a team toward the bottom. They're winning by 20 or 30, or it's a sloppy game like the first two quarters of Paris. You're going to be excited when it's over and when you get late, but you're watching the whole game. But those are the only exceptions to when I might just be laying down watching, like some cases getting a few other things done while the game is on versus the other ones, right? But you you, you, you get the vibe. You've been there, I'm sure, with the Browns as well and everything Cleveland. But the Cavs, man, they, they run your step count up. They accelerate your heart rate. And then sometimes they dap you up like, yeah, man, I told you to stay tuned for the game. You shouldn't have tuned out, which I never do, but something. Yeah, no, isn't it nice that when you're you're watching a Cavs game or a Browns game or whatever and you uh, hear, feel a, a notification on your watch and it's like, oh, I closed my rings. I got my uh, I got my steps in for today. I didn't even, I didn't even go outside today. I, yeah, because I, I, do, I do the exact same thing. I'll pace around. I'll, uh, I'll move around. I'll maybe jump a little bit. And uh, I don't know. I guess it – I'm like, I, I guess I just need to watch more, you know, sporting events for teams that I uh, am emotionally invested in because I'll, uh, I'll close all my rings and get all my objectives. But yeah, it's been, um, it's been a hell of a season so far. I wonder how far this team can go. Obviously, you know, it, it's going to be great to get Garland and Mobley back. Um, we'll see how they fit back into the lineup, but uh, it's, it's always going to be tough when you are, you know, running into the other teams in the Eastern conference. And um, I don't know. This I thought the six dude I thought the Sixers would fall off a cliff this year. They're I? playing well. Embiid scoring like thirty. He has like the longest streak since like Wilt I think of thirty point games. The Celtics look like the perennial favorite. The Bucks look fantastic with uh, Damian Lillard and Giannis. Obviously, even Chris Middleton. Um, we'll see. We'll see. But they're playing great right now, and they're keeping themselves alive. And that's the most important thing right now. And you know, we'll see what happens when they get their guys back. I think the most important thing for the Cavs would be just do not be a four or five somehow. Like it, it sounds stupid, but in essence, you might be better off being a six than a four because if you end up in that top, 
You're probably playing Boston, who I think would be the worst playoff matchup. Milwaukee's still hard if you get when you if slash when you get there. You still have to beat the first round team, which they didn't do last year. And the crazy thing is, the eight seed ended up knocking off the one seed, so the Cavs would have had home court for round two had they advanced. But we're looking forward, not backward, because you know hindsight is twenty twenty. But and now you got the Pacers adding Pascal Siakam, who I think fits better with what they're doing than Bruce Brown. The Heat have been injured all season, and they're still a top five, six team. The Knicks got OG, and they're playing him 45 minutes a game. He's looking like Chicago all dang. Now, for, for his sake, I hope he stays healthy because that's not as sustainable in the modern game with everything everyone says. But I am happy we got a guy playing like that because maybe it'll stop these minute restrictions from others. You know, but the, and then we're not even looking at the the teams that can that can sneak up and in. You know, Atlanta's not a great team this year, but I think they can still make noise in the play-in. The Orlando Magic, where Cavs play tonight, are twenty three and twenty. They were a lot better when the Cavs had last faced them, right? But they got Paolo, who's looking like a potential debatable All Star this season. They got Wendell Carter playing healthy, good ball. They got Markel Fultz back finally. They're bringing their players back, right? And then others teams are not even insane. Right now at the Raptors, probably won't get in, but you never know. Look at the Bulls, who if they don't blow it up when they get healthy, Levine, DeRozan. Drummond looks like Detroit Drummond when when he comes in the game, right? So there's no easy matchup. The hope would be, right, be a three or a six, even though three is probably going to be occupied by Philly. So also a hard matchup, but I guess it's still better than playing – Milwaukee having to potentially face Boston because you face the Knicks again, no Mitch, but they're still tough. There's no, I think you hit the nail, right? There's nothing easy in the NBA. And while teams lose in the first round, like the Knicks a couple of years ago when they lost to the Hawks, then they came back, may have taken that out on the Cavs, right? Nothing's taken for granted. You got to win the games that are in front of you. And that's why even though the Pistons only have three wins, they're still giving teams hell right now in the regular season, right? Uh, the last couple of weeks. Because they, they want yeah. to get that wing stop, and they're not as bad as the record. They're really no, bad. no, and the Pistons are definitely not. They just are a young team that needs to learn how to close out games. But you look at a lot of their their um, losses on their you know that historic losing streak, and a lot of them were really close or overtime games that they just kind of lost because they're just a team that like needs to close out. And what kind of scares me, dude, about the Eastern Conference is the Miami Heat are the sixth seed, and I have. I, I want zero part in playing the Miami Heat in the first round if that if they end up being a three seed. Like it just you're right. They're like every situation, um, it seems like they're just it's a it's a very competitive Eastern Conference. It isn't the Eastern Conference we kind of were accustomed to where the Hawks were the one seed and the Cavs obviously hit with LeBron James could get to the Eastern Conference Finals as like a as like a four, like a three seed. Um, I have a question for you. It's kind of it's not really related to the Cavs, but we did you did touch on Pascal Siakam. Um, he's a good player, obviously. Three first round picks. Do you think that's like I'm like, what is MB going to get traded for if like the Knicks want to make an offer for him? Is it going to be like seven? Are the Thunder going to give eleven first round picks since they have what thirty seven of those in the next seven years? Like what what does the trade offer look like for him? Is is three first round picks like is that crazy? Am I crazy? So I think the way you measure the success of a trade is how you and, and I don't even I haven't really thought about this lens really until now. Because I think the perfect example is looking at the PGSGA trade because the Clippers mortgaged everything essentially for to win for these next several years. Now they still have, they got Kawhi locked up again. They got PG locked up again. They have enough money to keep Harden. 
and it's worked. They went on a 22-0 run over a five-minute stretch to end the game when they went from down double digits to winning by double digits last night. So that it's it's that's a crazy one. I think they gave up four years of picks. Plus, Shea Gilgis is already in a uh, top three player in the MVP race. But you're fitting your current timeline. So I think in order for us to measure success in this trade, the Pacers have to outperform the pick. Essentially, they need to be. They need that pick to be at worst 2021 every year. You need to be a top 10 or 11 team in the league. Because if you're worse than that, if you're finishing in the play-in and you just gave this all up, then you're in trouble. But the thing is, right, uh, they're going to probably re-sign Pascal, who seems to be happy. You got the the point guard that's bringing everyone together, healthy or not, in Tyrese. And his backup, TJ McConnell, might be one of the most perfect fill-in point guards we've ever seen. Truthfully, because <laughs> yes, they, they did lose last night, but he and not Andrew Nemhard filled the void when they need to. You got an all-world point guard. You kept Miles Turner through five years of trade rumors, and now he seems happy again. And you have a nice core with pieces like Jaros Walker, Benedict Matherin, Obi Toppin could be one of those pieces. All right, I think 26 because he played four years of college. Aaron Neesmith just signed his extension. So I think he could fit their timeline as being that vet leader, having already won a ring. So you trade him for his uh, for his stats, for his numbers, and I think for his locker room ability, because I've never heard a negative word about him. You know, and obviously a lot of this has to do with the culture and, and the African culture, but how Masai Ujiri talked about him and that Pascal success is his success. So I think you want to call this specific trade a success. They have to be at worst a six or a six or seven game elimination in the first round every year. They have to go to round two. They have to push for the conference finals. Even with Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, Cleveland, Miami, New York, the top six ahead of them. But I think they have a good personnel group. I think there's going to be a lot of debates if these teams meet how to predict the series, which is unfortunate for us, but for analysts, it's going to be a dream. So I think that's how you measure. And if Embiid does get traded, I, I'm not ready to even think about that one from a basketball fan or analyst perspective. But if he does have to get traded, you're probably looking at trading your two best starters at minimum, a young player from the end of your bench who hasn't gotten time that they could develop along with. Uh, and I don't know, with the Stepien rule, you have to trade every other year, I believe, for picks. So, which started obviously with Cleveland, how they did things in the 80s. So you probably have to be looking at almost a decade of no first round picks, or however far in advance you're allowed to trade a pick in order for that to happen. I mean that's what's that so that's what I'm thinking about is like because the the thunder literally I think it's 37 first round picks in the next five years it's something ridiculous I'll, I'll pull it up I'll pull that up to confirm I think it's seven years actually I think it's 37 first round picks in the next seven years it's a 15 um, first round picks and 21 seconds over the next seven drafts I mean that's that's still crazy did you say did you say 15 why did I say 37 well that's the total total picks but 21 second round picks. Think about uh, what J Jay Crowder went. For. I don't know why, but Jay Crowder went for five seconds last year. And you, even if you do that, you still have 16 seconds remaining for seven years. Okay. You can do whatever you want. Okay. It's 37 total picks. I was like 37. Well, that's a 36 yeah. is 37. So that's, yeah. So that's the thing is like, what if, what if you could, I feel like Sam Presti sometimes loves the idea of having picks more so than like actually getting players. Um, credits like credit to him. They're second in the West right now, and they're in this like usually you mortgage like your future to like you get all these picks, but like you're you're bad. Uh, but like you said, SGA is an absolute stud. 
And uh, the Thunder have really found a lot of life in Chet Holger and a lot of, whatever. A lot of other things have happened, and they've been great. And they have all these picks. And I'm like, they're not going to get a Joel Embiid because it just doesn't seem like in their nature to get a guy who's like at the not the tail end of his career, but like the, I, I would want more of like a young blossoming superstar, like, right. like Halliburton would have been perfect or whatever. Some someone you know younger. Uh, but I'm, I'm wondering like who. Like, if they wanted, like, let's say, let's say for some reason, Brownie James comes to the Thunder and, you know, the Lakers are like, all right, make me an offer. It's like, okay, we'll give you 10 for, like, how many first round picks? Like, I feel like we could see, like, an historic trade with picks that we've never seen the likes of before. I mean, they, they have everything. I don't, to be honest, LeBron James is LeBron James. He's a top two player to everybody, the top one to about half the population. No matter how you look at it, he's still going to be an all-star starter because he's still good enough. And most guys, when they get old and become all-star starters, because, oh, we still like them. They're cool. But no, LeBron is still LeBron. You know, the, uh, the Browns is the Browns. Not, not not digging anything. The Browns is the Browns. The Browns is the Bron. LeBron. LeBron is still yep. Bron. So, but you're probably going to, you would be trading for a 40-year-old who might only give you one year, potentially. So you'd have to say, we're winning the title now. And this is worth the legacy that it, that it would provide for the organization. So I, I don't even know what a trade would look like. Now, I, I was I, in, in 2K, I actually did trade LeBron a couple of weeks ago, but that's 2K. And I think I ended up with two or three firsts and an 86 overall Keegan Murray because I wanted a young player. So don't do that. The Kings should not do that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know this is a, I know this is a Cavs podcast and, you know, my ADHD is really showing here. Um, but he seems like an impossible person to trade. Like even if it's like, like two to three first round picks seems low, but then like you can't go that much higher because you are mortgaging your future for a four year old and the thunder aren't going to do it. The thunder could win a title in the next couple seasons without LeBron or I mean, anybody training for anybody, just having those pick and putting those young guys in like, that's how good they are right now. And that's how good SGA is like, so credit to them and what Sam Presti has built. They've been very, very fun to watch. Um, kind of watch but anyways uh it's yeah there's so many there's just so many exciting teams so it's like i wonder what the Cavs kind of do if you want a good transition to another uh a question that you sent me i wonder what the Cavs do at the the trade deadline if they sit or if they feel like they got to make a move because i feel like i feel like there are some potential things out there but it's like what do you do i don't know well i don't think you should at this point you don't really want to trade dean wade with what he's been doing because he was he seemed to be a missing piece two years ago in the play-in and then his shoulder was bad during the playoffs. He watched these last two games. He's throwing up shots with no hesitation. He sunk a couple of fourth quarter three, a couple of late threes, not fourth quarter, didn't play the fourth, against Atlanta, was a plus 40. Last game, five threes, hit three in the fourth quarter. He was sinking them late in the contest. You know, um, you look at everything, and it's hard because you don't want to trade. You'd probably have to trade any of Struess, Niang, Wade in order to get something. They don't have exactly have picks to move, and I would hold on to picks for now. Uh, but given, I think you, you need to. You're essentially making a trade to bring back your top two stars for free. You're just mortgaging minutes, not players. Uh, in these next couple of weeks, as Evan and Darius come back, so I think it's a it's a great question and area because right, you got DeAndre Hunter and Royce O'Neal, Dorian Finney-Smith, Andrew Wiggins. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of options, some more expensive than others. But what I would personally do, if they just keep winning. You know, and I don't expect Pete Nance to stick on more than a two-way after his – and congrats to him for getting his NBA debut as the third Nance in Cleveland. But I don't expect, unless they get really banged up, that Cleveland will be the place where he gets to play 15, 20 minutes a game. 
especially considering you have Evan's older brother who's shown flashes as well, not getting those minutes. So there will be a roster spot open. They will, they will convert Craig Porter and they should still have one other one available. So honestly, you know, a guy, I don't think he would come to Cleveland or he even fits with the Cavs knee, but a Gordon Hayward type, a wing who can score and won't be a negative defensively or a wing who defends and can't score, whichever you already have. And as the core, he's been <laughs> scoring, he's been scoring better. So I think you just have to go to the, I would go to the buyout market. I wouldn't make any moves right now. I wouldn't trade anybody. I think maybe if Ty Jerome really can't get healthy and you want an extra roster spot again, you might consider moving him just for uh for cash or considerations or, or something like that, or a way, way later second that wouldn't even necessarily convey. And you can use that to bring in another veteran for the point guard market. Like maybe Memphis wants to get rid of Derek Rose because they're going nowhere and he's not mentoring anybody because John Morant's out. Maybe the Grizzlies and him say, we want to buy him. Maybe the Cavs, you won't get minutes. Maybe the Cavs say he's been here before. We've seen his maturity since then, for example. Maybe we want to bring in a Derek Rose type, an extra veteran point guard for the room to mentor Craig, to hang out with Darius like they had in Rondo. A yep. few years ago. But I don't think you need to trade your chips right now because even though the Cavs are definitely in a year where it's make or break when you get to the playoffs, this part of the year right now where they're cruising and looking really good, yeah, it's house money. It's house money in the regular season, which few teams get a year after winning 50 games because of how they've gotten here. So that, that, that's what I would personally do. Yeah, no, I mean, those are good points. I'm going to give you some unrealistic ones because I'm not a GM that has to figure out picks and cash, uh, you know, whatever, the financials behind making a trade work. So uh, I don't have to because that's not my job. But it would be cool to have a Gordon Hayward, somebody that is, you know, a veteran presence, somebody that has been in the league for a while uh, to be on this team. My dream scenario, though, wouldn't it be really, really cool after drafting him number one overall and trading him uh, in the Kevin Love trade to have Andrew Wiggins on the Cavs in this place? And, and I, who knows, like, if it, that it will not happen, more than likely not. I, I don't know if the Warriors are going to ever admit to themselves that this thing is – is because it's crazy. Two seasons ago, they won the, they won the NBA Finals, and now they're sitting like – yeah, and now they're sitting twelve. Yeah, now they're sitting twelfth in the West, and they look like a complete shell of themselves. So I wonder if they're gonna, you know, blow this up. I, I'm not sure if they will. I don't know if they're gonna admit it to themselves, but it would be really cool to have Andrew Wiggins yeah. back in Cleveland. Uh, I would, I would love that. I think that would be like the most like, uh, just it's like the the prophecy, you know, that the the guy that was sold, he he comes back. He comes back and he helps the Cavs in a, in a playoff push. But, yeah, I, I do like this team as well right now. They're playing uh, – I don't know. They're just, it's just a great locker room. It's just a great culture. There's a bunch of great guys. Like Jared Allen, like, is maybe the coolest dude. Like, he's just and, – and they're all just – even Darius Diamond. Like, they're all just fun guys to root for. And they're they, – that goes, I feel like, a very long way, like, when you have a good locker room. Because we've seen so many times a very cancerous locker room. Even in some of the uh, – the years before LeBron or maybe some, some of the years with LeBron, it has seemed like there was some tension in, in the locker room. And right now it just seems like they're just a, a young team that just has a lot of fun and plays with each other. And that, I think that does go a long way. And do you think, Joey, that tonight is the night the Cavs get their eighth consecutive win match in their longest streak from last season? Um. I can see that. I so I was at uh, I was at well, I don't know how many games they played against the Magic at home. I was at one of them in December, uh, eating an onion behind the uh, Magic bench. We don't have to get into that, but um, the Magic are a very very fun team. They're very young, uh, sitting behind the bench. They they have uh, they've had they had a lot of great conversations that I will not um, 
air out because it should be kept private on the bench. Yeah, but there are a lot of good. There they have a lot of great players. The the Wagner brothers are very funny. Uh, Paulo Manchero is, uh, like you said, a perennial, you know, fringe all-star player. If not, he will be an all-star player for many years to come. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, Orlando, what, you, you got Disney. You got people focused on Disney there. I don't know how much of a basketball town Orlando might be right now, even with a very fun Magic team to watch. Momentum is a big thing. I like the Cavs a lot. Let's, 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 why not? Let's say they win eight. Let's do it. Go the Lamar Stevens, Matthew Dellavedova, Channing Fry, Jordan Clarkson. We go down the whole list. The guys that were eight, eight Christian Ianga, obviously the greatest. Uh, nonetheless, he made it in the NBA, which always counts for something. Especially when you come come from overseas, you get a chance to play in the NBA. Whether you're great, you're bad, you're good. You get the opportunity to suit up. You got to play on the Lakers on a team that had Kobe Bryant. He, can't, he got drafted by an organization that had LeBron James. I mean, no matter how you look at it, he, I think he's still playing basketball now, and he's only in his early 30s. You get the chance to play pro ball. You, and we, we call these guys busts. You know, everybody wants to start conversations, and I'm, I'm guilty of that myself. But the, the, the true answer is, you would, well, one, we would never say the, those things to the people directly, and then, two, they made it, right? Anthony Bennett, we could say anything we want about him. But, you know, the guy had some weight problems. He had a sleeping problem. It clearly wasn't the right fit. But he was number one overall. He did last four years in the NBA. He's playing well overseas, and he made it as the number one pick, right? Yes, they're a bust in the terms that we have to talk about the NBA and keep it realistic, right? But he made it. He's on the big stage. We're watching. Millions of people are paying to watch him play. People are wearing his jerseys in the crowd. So any of these bust types, Kwame Brown played 13 years in the NBA. And he literally, and it's unfortunate, he became Michael Jordan's punching bag, you know, but he made it. These guys made it. So to answer any on, on these bust questions, and I think uh, what what spurred us here was I talk about number eights, but you get in, you get your opportunity, whether you're good or not, you still got it. You made it. People are going to talk about you. You have your legacy, and whatever you do after, you tell your kids, your grandkids, your family, anyone you meet. That was me for a little while. So you know mm -hmm. uh, the, the whole the whole underarching as theme to tie everything together as, as we sign off would be that you take every chance you can get. Right. And if you're great at something, it's wonderful. If you're not, but you want to pursue it, you should go for it. And don't let the, the, maybe the perception others have of how something is that you're doing necessarily shape how you do it, or let that be your, let that reflect your personal thoughts on how you did while you were doing it as a player, doing content, doing interviews, just working in life and in general. I love that. I love that. That's great. That's, that's a good way to sign off. Um, do, are you the one that uh, kind of like a little tangent? Are you, do you do the ones that you like name a name a player that played for both teams tonight? Like, is that, yeah, do, do, you, do you, that is that correct? I do that every day. Yeah. That's going up in an hour. It's nine fifty nine. That one be going up at 11 for Cavs magic. All right, cool. I, Cause I'm going to comment one. Um, and I have one right now and I'm like, I was trying to like, I'm trying to, I was trying to think of one and I'm going to think of a very unique one. One that's, uh, that I like a lot. Shaquille O'Neal. That'd be one for me. That's, That's a good, good one. one. The one I'm starting it with is Ben Wallace. He's the, he's the starter. He got the Ben Wallace Cavs magic side by side. So anyone that hears this before it goes up, I guess it'll be unlikely 50-minute episode. The pod goes up at 11. Nonetheless, it'll be Ben Wallace. You got Shaq. There's, three, <laughs> there's 32 answers total. I was surprised at how few because a lot of the other teams have more. So we'll see. I don't know what the response rate will be. But the reason I – and I, this is my, fi my final thought, and then uh, make sure you give, give you a chance to blast where we can find you if people don't know. 
the reason I love these questions and doing it, so I've been doing them across the cast for five years. And there's an account I love called, uh, there's something called, it's there's there's locked on and then there's lead. Every team has something, something lead. And I think Jazz lead, who's followed by Richie Ostler, he and I used to record together. He has a, he has a good pod. He runs a social for them. And they ask these great engagement questions. Now, I was doing this in 2020 and 2019, but no one really knew what Across the Caps was, right? Because I had some cool guests. I had the pod. I think I only had 500 followers then, right? And then there's no one to really blast it to. You got to get yourself up there. So I was trying, and then I realized at a certain point that I really love being a conversation starter. I might not be asking the, the, the hardest-hitting question, but I like, I like seeing reminiscing, right, because this team is so nostalgic. And you and I both missed the golden, golden era. We got the title, but we missed the golden era, the Miracle of Richfield, the Price Daugherty Nance years. But we feel so invested, right, because they're around the Cavs. We see their kids playing, and they're on the broadcast these questions just as a way starting conversation let's be nostalgic and it makes me feel older than my 28 in a sense that i can really start conversations with 80s and 70s fans and we have the same viewpoint on everything i love that that's so cool and it is like i think people um it's so interesting growing up here in cleveland and you know you're just kind of you have no choice you're a browns fan you're a guardians fan you are a Cavs fan and you kind of learned all the stories about the miracle of Richfield. Uh, yeah, I mean, you learn, you know, all the all the Brown misfortune, and you kind of get caught up in it. So, yeah, you never really lived it. You know, I, I didn't. You know, I I couldn't really process the the sale of the Browns. You know, I was one one year old, or whatever. I didn't. You know, I could couldn't even remember what I ate for breakfast. You know, most days now I don't. Uh, not actually, but. But yeah, you kind of just like grow up into all that history with the Cavs and stuff like that. And, and, and like you said, the golden years. And I remember having a VHS tape of Mark Price learn how to shoot and shoot free throws. And, you know, you always see his like numbers up with the best free throw percentages of all time. And just the, you know, the, the teams that, that we had here in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, I watched every single, I, I watched every game when I was in second grade. I watched every single game the year before uh, they got LeBron James. And obviously the, to get LeBron, it had to be a very, very bad season. And uh, they got lucky because maybe the Nuggets were supposed to get uh, LeBron. But, um, you know, I watched every single game. And I watched every single game the year before he came back when they had Kyrie and Dion. And there's just something about the Cavs, man. There's something about being here. You don't have a choice. Like, I could, yeah, I could root for the Celtics. I could go root for somebody else. But it just, it's not, it just, you can't. It's not in my DNA. I don't care how many times they win. I don't care how many times they break my heart. Like, it's just, that's just how it is, how it's going to be uh, when you're from around here. So. Much respect. And, and there's I'm, probably other cities that do that. I'm not the, we're not the only loyal no. city out there. But it, it's some, there is something about being from here. You just, it, it's like you, you're just born with it. You're just born being a Cavs fan. That's how it is. And it makes me wish I was from Cleveland. I've only actually been to Cleveland once. I'm in New Jersey. I've been to Cleveland once. So if I grew up in Cleveland, I have to sue my fans and would be even more. But I think for me, being one of the only <laughs> Cavs fans in the Northeast – and near New England, there's very, very few actual Cavs fans. I think that's even built my identity tighter because I'm watching the games and I'm almost the Cavs informant. So everyone's asking me about the Cavs around, right? Because no one, no one around here watches them as much. But I went last year finally. I got a second. I'm seeing Cavs Timberwolves at the Rock in March, which I'm very excited for. So I'm definitely getting more invested as we go. I've gotten to talk, getting to actually talk to the announcers and former players. It even helped me further understand the culture that I don't get. I'm not around living there. But I'm uh, very excited to be back and back invested with the Cavs in person for a second time. And hope that Donovan doesn't get hurt this time. He got hurt last time I was there, last year. Oh, yeah. Hopefully he doesn't. But, man, that's going to be such a fun game. How, like, 
I don't, would you even say that Timberwolves are like a su- surprise story? I don't know, but they, they I, I would say, yeah, I don't think I, I thought they were going to be the one Perfect. seed currently like that. I, I don't think they five, were I, not top two. They're definitely. Top I mean, I would have thought maybe the, I was like, maybe the Warriors will have like, you know, maybe they'll come back and have some sort of fight. The Suns like will do something. Um, I didn't think it was going to be the Timberwolves. I mean, I, I you know what I thought? I was like, the Nuggets are going to be the one seed. That's that's what the obvious, like, they're going to be the best team out in the West because they're just – they bring everybody back. Like, the Timberwolves, you know, it, they kind of got made fun of a lot because of the Rudy Gobert trade. Like, yeah, I mean, he's a great player, but to trade what they – like, we, we talk about three first-round picks. I believe it was four first-round picks, and then yeah. they got Walker Kessler, yeah. who, was a, who was a first-round pick. So it's like – What's going on here? What are these trades? But uh, credit to them. And Anthony Edwards, it feels like he's just uh, – every every night you look on Twitter, you look at Rob Perez, you see other people post clips. It looks like he's just jumping higher, and he's just jumping farther away from the basket. That dude is an absolute highlight, highlight, highlight reel. They always say Jimmy Butler and Anthony Edwards, you know, their father might be Michael Jordan. Every day I watch Anthony Edwards play, I'm like, this dude actually might be Michael Jordan's offspring. He is – and he's also just like one of the funniest players to watch. But anyways – I'm very excited for uh, the rest of the way for the Cavs. I'm looking forward to this. We'll, uh, it'll be fun. And then, Joey, as we sign off, tell everyone, I mean, we know you at Sir Yacht on Twitter. Where where else can we find you, and what's what's the latest? Yeah, so uh, the biggest things right now for me that are working, Instagram is really, really working for some reason. I don't know. Uh, TikTok's doing great. I post a lot of stuff on YouTube. I have like a new YouTube channel where I post um post like long form stuff. So I've been doing this big project where I've ate nothing but the the Costco hot dog meal for a week. So that's on there. I'm doing more stuff like that. Um, just kind of just fun, silly stuff that isn't just like sports or Cleveland or whatever, but maybe more of like a, a mass like national poll or, or audience. Hope the hope is. So um yeah, just everywhere, just posting dumb stuff, just doing dumb things and uh, you know, ha- Posting my uh, uninformed uh, opinion, uninformed opinions on uh, Cleveland sports, and uh, trying to just be a part of the conversation. But uh, yeah, every, just wherever you don't have to. Yeah, you, there's enough people to follow out there. You don't have to follow me if you don't. Um, but yeah, that's all, all right. I got. Much respect, Joey Kinsley, aka Sir Yacht, Zach White. This is the Cross Network two one six, and we will see you real soon.